source of true delight, whom I unseen adore. Unveil thy beauties to my sight, that I might love thee more. Oh, that I might love thee more. You're listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding die. <laughs> Chapter 12. Page 947 in the Pew Bible, that blue book in front of you. This is probably the biggest transition in the book of Romans, uh, going from what is generally thought of as the doctrinal section where he sets forth the glory of God's salvation and now moves to what does this mean for our lives? How do we respond to this? You can see the very way he begins uh, by summarizing the mercies of God. It's a summary statement of everything up to now. And as well, see these two verses as kind of the head uh, title for what follows after this. Uh, That everything is under this basic rubric or this umbrella of sacrificing and not conforming to this world, but being transformed by our minds. And so everything else is a kind of working out of that. What does that mean in day-to-day life? And you'll see as we proceed that so much of it, has to do with the way we treat one another. So this sacrifice made to God will work itself out in the way we deal with one another. So uh, this, this giving of ourselves up to God is not some isolating thing. It actually plunges us into each other's lives. And the very definition of sacrificing for God is that we give ourselves away to one another. So we can't pull those threads apart. There's no monkdom in here <laughs> at all. I'm not talking about the TV show. I'm talking about real monks. But anyway, <clears throat> um, chapter 12, verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world But be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Thus the reading of God's word. Pray with me. O Lord, bless us that we will understand your word, that we will believe your word, that we will live out your word. We know, Lord, that it must be the Holy Spirit governing us and applying this word to our hearts, the very Spirit who gave it. That is our only hope, Lord. And we thank you it is a sure hope. We ask you to save us, to rescue us. Show us your mercy, Lord, to bring this word to bear on our hearts. We ask this in the precious name of Christ. Amen. This is uh, one of those passages that hopefully many of you have memorized, and I hope if you haven't memorized it, perhaps you will. It's, a, it's one of those framework passages 
because it defines everything else that he says in the practical application of the gospel. It is an excellent frame for the whole of our lives to define what we do every day, how we see ourselves every day. We often talk about what is your life purpose. Uh, Some, of course, programs have you pull away and review your life purpose and how you're living every day and every hour to fulfill that life purpose. Well, this is one of those verses, that passages that sets forth the life purpose of a believer. So as we get into it, I, I hope that it could make some major changes if you've never considered this passage and how you see yourself as a Christian uh, and how you view your relationship to God and your relationship to others. We'll look at it under three points. Uh, the motivation of this sacrifice, the presentation of this sacrifice, then the transformation of the sacrifice. So it's motivation, presentation, and transformation. First of all, the motivation, it's right up front, isn't it? I appeal to you, and by the way, that word appeal should be translated perhaps exhort because it doesn't mean I just urge you, I hope that you'll do this, but it's a command. It's, it has authority. I exhort you, brethren. As an apostle, this is apostolic teaching. This is authoritative teaching. And the, the uh, verb form that follows to present your bodies is taken as a command as well. So I exhort you to do this. There's no option. It's like, well, I might present myself as a sacrifice. I might not. I'll, 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 I'll consider your appeal. I'll consider your request, Paul. No, we have to see it as a command from God himself. Uh, now, what's interesting about it is we would hope that the mercies of God would in themselves motivate us, and they do, and yet we're given this command to give ourselves up. So while the motivation is the mercy of God, we still, as his people, need to hear the command to do it. So uh, we're, we're not left to ourselves, even in this, not to just say, well, however you feel, hopefully you'll be motivated by the, by the mercies of God. But this is to teach us and command us, this is the only response that you must and can have to the mercies of God unless you're neglecting them and turning away from them. If you turn away and, and refuse the mercies of God, then you won't present yourself as a sacrifice. But you have two options. That this is going to be your life or it's not going to be your life. And that's, that shows whether you've responded to the mercies of God or not. So he says, by the mercies of God... Uh, It means because of these mercies, in the light of the mercies of God. And it's a summary of everything that's come up to this point. Now, in chapters 9 through 11, as we saw, the word mercy or and a related word mercy came up a lot. In fact, it kind of reached a crescendo, didn't it, at the end of chapter 11, as he says in verse 32, he's consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. So that's one of the reasons he uses that word mercy to catch the flavor of where he's ended. But it includes everything that he said up to this point in other ways, like using the word grace in uh, the early cha- earlier chapters of Romans and the love of God that came to us even when we were sinners. As Romans 5.8 says, 
While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This demonstrates the unique love of God that is unlike human love. It's a holy love. And it responds and gives itself away in in ways we can't even begin to imagine. But in light of these mercies, in, in light of all the love of God that has been shown... And it's remarkable because, as he says earlier in chapter 4 that we studied, he justifies the ungodly. Every person, get this, every person that's accepted by God and in the courtroom of God declaring, you are now righteous and I accept you in my son, united to my son, every person he declares such is ungodly. Every single one. There's no, like, you know, you're, I'd have to call you not so ungodly. You know, I'd have to call you pretty good, especially compared to some of your friends. No. In fact, the indication in that passage is that's what you must believe. That he justifies, that he declares righteous the ungodly. There's the implication is you've got to admit that this is all that I am. I bring to the table sin. That's what I bring to the table. What do I bring to the table to earn nothing? I bring only negative. I bring only sin. I am the ungodly. Oh, Lord, have mercy upon me. And by your grace, because of the work of Jesus Christ, declare me righteous. That's it. That is mercy. See? That is mercy. And he says, because of those mercies, present yourself a living sacrifice. Now, it shows that there is no other motivation that will do this. Trying to do the right thing all the time to earn God's favor, trying to win His acceptance by works, will never produce in your life uh, the, the kind of character that pushes itself out to give yourself away to people. In fact, the effort to try to make yourself acceptable to God will only develop pride in your life. Interesting, I was just reading in preparation for our trip to Mexico, Ed Walsh's book on addiction. And the point he makes repeatedly is anyone helping someone else in addiction must recognize we're all addicted to sin. And as a fellow addict to sin, I come to help you in your particular addiction, perhaps to substance abuse or whatever, or sexual uh, uh, addiction, whatever it is. We all have the same addiction to sin. None of us is any different. And so only this realization of the mercy of God can enable us to spend ourselves for others and not begin to be prideful about it, not to look down our noses at others, but to walk humbly with our God. And the last phrase of of, uh, verse 1 says, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the word spiritual in the English here makes you think that it's related to the spirit. But this is not the word that's there. It's more the word related to logos, logikos. Um, and so the better translation is most commentators that I've dealt with is that this is your reasonable worship. And you'll find it in some translations. It's your reasonable worship, rational, but not rational in the sense of the uh, Greek philosophies, but rational and reasonable in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In other words, speaking in our 
way, you would be crazy not to give yourself up to the care of this God. You'd be crazy. It, it would defy reason. It would be a moral in, and even psychological insanity that a God who would sacrifice his son in this way, demonstrating his intense love and care for you, that you wouldn't put yourself under his care. That you wouldn't be a sacrifice, take your life and say, here, it's yours. Any other way of life is like you've lost your mind. So that's the feeling here. It's your rational, it's your reasonable sacrifice. It'd be like if you come home to your kids and say, kids, a very interesting thing that's available at work, that we could go to Disney World in Florida and SeaWorld Orlando and Universal and Legoland, all there for free. The whole trip. And we can stay there for three weeks and see all of these places for free. And they said, well, are you, did you say yes? Nah, I didn't think you'd be interested. You know, when your kids, I can't imagine what would happen. They might just cut their wrists right there, you know, and say, well, life's over then if you're, this is what you're going to do. Um, but the, the craziness, the insanity of not receiving this amazing gift that's free and we can just go and have that. On a more serious note, you think of that terrible event with the USS Indianapolis, uh, that uh, cruiser that actually in 1945 was delivering some of the last parts of the atomic bomb that was going to be dropped uh, on Hiroshima. And after delivering it, it was sunk by a submarine on July 30th of 1945. And many of you know the story that almost 1,200 men went into the water. The Navy didn't know. This is the worst loss at sea of the Navy in history. The Navy didn't even know the ship went down. That's how bad communication was in places of World War II. And these men were in the water for four days. 300 went down with the ship. Almost 900 were in the water. And four days later, because of exposure, dehydration, dehydration, and, and sharks, 300 were left. So close to 600 men died in the water those four days. Horrible. And can you imagine someone, when, when the uh, uh, Ventura came and discovered them, I mean, they were just discovered. They didn't even know it. They were discovered by this boat, and they began the rescue operation. Can you imagine a man who's been in the water all that time and seen those horrors saying, no, I think not. I think I'll just stay in the water and take my chances, as even men were dying right there before their eyes because of the sharks. Brothers and sisters, that's the feeling of Paul here. In light of these mercies, it's your reasonable service. It's the way you respond to such lavish, abundant mercies is you gladly give yourself away to Him. And anything else is a refusal of mercy, you see. Anything else is to say, I'll go it on my own. <laughs> I'll wait for a better thing. But this is the response of mercy, uh, of, to, to mercy. And in our... In our singing earlier, and can it be that I should gain, 
You see, that, that hymn is, is amazed, isn't it, at the love of God. How, how can it be? How can it be that I would gain an interest in Christ? How can it be that you would forgive me? How can it be that you would die for me? Amazing love. And so I would urge you, if, if, there, are, if there are issues, and of course for all of us there are continuing issues. This is a, a, life, a lifelong um, effort, isn't it, to give ourselves up. But we can never, ever look too long and hard and constantly at the beauty and glory of Jesus Christ. And to be amazed at what he's done. Because it's that amazement, it's that awe. Uh, Psalm 130 verse 4 says, There's forgiveness with you that I that you may be feared. That is, that we may be in awe of you. That, that, that we may be amazed at your glory. And it really is the lack of that in our lives that causes us not to give ourselves away freely and abundantly and sacrificially and gladly into his care. And so it's a place for us to pray, Oh Lord, open up my heart. Let me see wonderful things from your law. It's interesting in Luke 24, after the disciples had been with Jesus after the resurrection, and he opened up from the scriptures everything concerning himself. So what was he doing throughout scripture? He's showing them himself. Christ, 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 and all the scriptures. And they said, our hearts burned within us when he was teaching us about himself. And it's the search for Christ. It's as I heard Brian Habig this week, and I was at RYM Florida, and he said, you know what? Everywhere in scripture, it's telling you, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in Jesus. No matter where. Now, many times we don't see that and we, there's a lot of work involved and, and uh, grace of God to show these things to us. But, but that's what the, the scriptures are telling us, to look to Christ. Well, this is the motivation and the mercies of God. And then there's the presentation. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, most would say that bodies is, uh, includes the whole self. Because earlier, for instance, in Romans chapter 6, verse 13, he says, Do not present your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life. So in almost the same terminology, but present yourselves as alive. And there's that same kind of thing here. But the reason he would say body here is it emphasizes in such a wonderful way, the whole self in all of its connections in life. Okay? It's not just present your soul, but it's to present your body. And it's not just some ritual or some worship just with the people of God, but it expresses in every part of your life, every part of your life has this nobility of being offered up to God. It's your whole self in all of its life connections, in its everyday existence. And so this gives a, an amazing beauty and nobility to every part of life. And it shows that would-be priests and holy people that say, well, the really important thing is the you know, uh, 
hocus pocus that we do with things and the little private things that we have with God. And, and Paul says, no, here's the real thing. Here's the real holiness. Here's the real sacrifice is in your everyday life, giving yourself up to God in all the things that you have every single day. So it means that in all of your relationships, your fundamental posture is, oh Lord, use me and do with me what you will. Make me an expression of your will. Make me a representative of your glory and your character in this relationship. In this responsibility, whether it's school or work or things around the house, okay? In this tragedy or difficulty, What's the posture? Oh, Lord, in this tragedy, the one thing I want is to be given up to you to glorify your name and to manifest your character and your beauty in this difficulty. It gives you a strength and a purpose in life so that you're not governed by this creation, but you prove yourself to be a true Uh, ruler and king as you were made to be over creation to say, I'm dedicated to God and I'll be, and in this fellowship that I have with God, I give myself away to all of my situations. And so I, I mentioned at first, this is not monkdom, right? The problem with becoming a monk, as Jesus points out in Matthew 15, where he says, when his disciples weren't washing their hands properly and the Pharisees thought that they were therefore imbibing uncleanness into their life because they weren't washed properly, okay? And Jesus pointed out, of course, that it's not what comes into the body that makes you corrupt. It's what comes out of the heart, adulteries and murders and hatred. And he goes, he talks about that. It's not a very nice passage uh, for Jesus to talk about us. It's like somebody saying, you know, Jesus, I'm just trying to keep my mind out of the gutter. Okay. And Jesus says, you know, that would be a problem because your mind produces the gutter. (laughs) That's the real issue. What are you going to do about that? Uh Uh-huh. You know, that's just a whole different thing. Like I'm going to keep myself. In fact, as, uh, Reading recently, this one guy says, uh, we like to think and say, Lord, keep me from sin. Keep me from temptation in a way that makes me feel full of how I'm able to do that. It's quite a different thing to relinquish yourself and to say to God, I can't do anything. I give myself to you. See, And of course, our commitment is to stay free, but our real effort is to give ourselves up to Him. And He gives three descriptions. Really, literally, it shouldn't be uh, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable. It reads like this, to present your bodies a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable to God. Three things, okay? That's the way it reads. To present your body a sacrifice, living, holy, and acceptable. Living refers back to Romans 6, where he talks about how we're alive from the dead. Okay? This is wonderful because the Spirit, as he says in chapter 8, verse 2, we, the Spirit of life has renewed us. We're not what we were. We read this in 2 Corinthians 5 earlier. The old has passed away. All things are new. And it has, it also has with it this idea that this living sacrifice is an energized force in this world. It's a space in a sense, my body, in which God reign, God's reign is manifesting itself in character. 
And so this is a living sacrifice. I'm, I'm presenting myself as one made alive by God. Also as one made holy by God. Holy, of course, means to be separate. It means now I'm under His power. I'm under His protection. I'm under His shelter. I get to belong to God. <laughs> That's why the title of our, of our sermon, we get to belong to God. That's what it means to be holy, to be separated out from all others. So that in just like we, in many cases, hope that our children can get into a certain school and we sacrifice a lot to get them there. Or I saw that movie in which this couple sacrificed so much to try to get into a particular condo because of the reputation of that condo, right? Certain neighborhoods, associations, clubs, fraternities, sororities, we just hope we can get in there. And here's God saying, you can be in this fellowship with me. I receive you. You are separated out. You belong to me. You belong to the people of God. You have that mercy. And that's how we should think of this holiness. You know, that It should be a glad opportunity and privilege to get to belong to God. To be, as he calls us, saints. He declares us saints. And ultimately, he will make us holy as he is holy. And then he says, pleasing to God. It says in Hebrews 13, 20 to 21 that he works in us that which is pleasing in his sight. That's encouraging. He makes us pleasing. We're offering, and it's encouraging also to know that as I offer up myself by the power of the Spirit, as I offer myself up in union with Christ, I can really be pleasing to God. Not because of... I'm perfect. That will never be in this life. But I really can be pleasing to God. And that's what Paul commands us to do. To give ourselves up to Him in this way. And so, as you think of every part of your life, you want to think, Lord, I give myself up to You as this living, holy, acceptable sacrifice. Do you do this on vacations, for instance? Sometimes that's kind of the way we, we're going to get away from it all, including Jesus, you know, <laughs> and just minimally think about God almost. And rather than saying, oh, Lord, may this vacation, may I manifest you. I give myself to you as a sacrifice in this vacation. I give myself as a sacrifice to you in every respect of my life. Well, that's motivation and presentation. And finally, there's transformation in chapter 2. The first part, do not be conformed to this world. It's literally this age, this present age. The, what he calls in Galatians 1, this present evil age. You get the same thing in Colossians 3 where Paul says, don't set your mind on the things of this earth, but set your mind on the things at the right hand of God. Because you've been raised, seek the things that are above and not on the things that are on earth or below. And then he goes on to talk about what those are and they have to do with a character of love to other people and worship to God. So we are 
given to a new age that is breaking in on this old age and showing what I would say is a shocking, surprising character of God where people don't expect it. So that the holiness of God, which sets him apart, begins to take on his people and their holiness makes them separate from just the way people live and think. And so they're dedicated to the good of others in a way that people have never seen. Their patience and kindness and forgiveness and sacrifice is like people have not seen. It's holy. It's like God. It's not of this age. It's of a different age that has broken in and we're part of this new age that has come upon the world. This new life This new life that's marked by the mercies of God and the forgiveness of God, setting us free, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, so that we no longer live for ourselves. By ourselves, apart from His grace, we're like a little piece of grass that's hemmed in by the concrete. It's in a a sidewalk. And we're hemmed in by the concrete of our own devotion to ourselves, our own promotion of self, our own protection of ourselves. And by His grace, this little piece of grass begins to turn into a a little oak tree and the concrete begins to break up and the oak tree just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and begins to open up and create shade and a place for birds and the concrete's just blown apart, you know. There's a believer. And all people have ever seen basically is little pieces of grass and now here's a tree that's beginning to break up the concrete of self in a way they've never seen before. That's what we're... That's what he's talking about, being transformed. And this idea of transform, as you, I'm sure, know, many of you, it's metamorphosis. It's where we get that word, like caterpillar to butterfly, tadpole to, uh, to frog, uh, to toad. Um, but we like the butterfly one better. Uh, <laughs> I'll be transferred into a toad. Um, <clears throat> but... Uh, The amazing transformation, this is the same word that's used of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where he was transfigured before them. He underwent metamorphosis. And of course, this was largely external in the sense that his normal bodily appearance became like lightning, but it's still a picture of the radical nature of this metamorphosis, right? It's no small thing. It's a real change. And it's a transformation that comes from the inside out. It's not just external things. He stopped doing a few things, started to do do other things. But it's by the actual renewal of who he is as a person. And we know in, in other places where Paul talks about this, that the renewal comes by the Holy Spirit. And the renewal comes as his word is constantly applied to our hearts. In sister passage in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, in one place he says, let the, uh, let the Spirit govern you at all times. Be filled with the Spirit at all times. So that means be governed. Let His influence be wild and strong in your life. Okay, the, the Holy Spirit. In the sister passage, talking about the same thing in Colossians, same context, instead of the Spirit, he says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You say, well, which... One is it, Paul? And he says, yes, right? It's, it's both. It's, in fact, you can't even pull those apart. You will be governed by the strong spirit, by the word, and you will only be governed by the word as the spirit is influencing your life. This is how you are transformed. 
As it says in Psalm 119, verse 11, a familiar passage, that thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Or Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all vigilance because from it springs the, uh, come the springs of life. And so, interestingly, in 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul uses this same word, 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says, we all... This is encouraging. This is a special class, okay? We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of God, are being metamorphosized, being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And if we couple that with what we said in Luke, about Luke 24, where where Jesus is teaching them about himself in the Word, And this says, we are transformed as we see the glory of Jesus, the glory and beauty of Jesus as it's scattered like diamonds throughout the whole of the Word of God. That will change your life. That's why you and I, for the purpose of transformation, must give ourselves up to the Spirit and up to the Word so that the Word richly dwells within us. Is it richly dwelling within you? Have you cut yourself off from this spring, this wonderful oasis of life? You know, Jeremiah talks about the people of God leaving God for idols. And I think another picture of this could be leaving God's Word for anything else. And if you ignore God's Word... You're, you're really giving your life to something other than God's Word if you ignore it. There's, there's no other choice. Either, either it is influencing me and either that Word is richly dwelling within me and the Spirit is governing me through that Word or it's not. And the, and the picture is to trust in God or to trust in some idol. And the picture there in Jeremiah 2 is they left this oasis this place where full water flowing all the time. They went out into the desert... This is the picture of trusting in idols. They dug a cistern. They waited and waited for the rain. Maybe it came finally after 60 days. They're almost dying of thirst. And then guess what? It won't even hold water. He says, gosh, how appalling. And that would be us. How appalling. If we have the opportunity of being transformed by the Spirit of God continually, and these are present tense, continually transformed by the renewal of our minds, by the Spirit working in our hearts by the Word, and we say, nah, I think not. Then I I tell you, you and I are digging a cistern somewhere out in the desert. And we're hoping somehow maybe that we'll be changed without Christ without the oasis. And, and I say it, it's so wonderful to say it's an oasis because once you begin to really get into it and drink it, you think, I've never had water like this in my life. It tastes so good. It's so refreshing. It's so clean. It's so cold. This is amazing. And it's transforming. And notice what it does. This transformation. It, the actual meaning of this last phrase is that you can discern, and the idea is to prove out or approve. So you discern and do what is the will of God. And that is the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. And it, it means in everyday life, 
beginning to discern and figure out how to live out the will of God in some very difficult circumstances. And this is, a, again, the nobility that God says, I'm going to so equip you that you, in your particular circumstance, and nobody else has your particular circumstance, in the particular relationships, particular pressures you have, you're going to be a unique snowflake of the glory of God as you manifest my will. And you discover and live out my will as it's set forth in the word, but applied in your particular situation. And this is a theme in Scripture. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 1, It's my prayer that your love may abound more and more, notice, with knowledge and discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and be pure and blameless. The understanding is love means different things in different situations, and sometimes it's tough to, to manifest and to find a whole new way that love has shown itself in your marriage toward your children, toward that friend, that family member. And he says, we must be renewing our minds so that in all of these many circumstances, we're discerning and living out the will of God. Which, of course, as he goes on to say in Romans, is, is about love. It's the many circumstances of love. In Ephesians 5, verse 10, he says, Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. So we know, we say, well, I know the Word. I know what the Word says. Now, how does that Word apply in this situation? Try to discern that, he says. And later in verse 17, Do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so this word applies to each life. And so this is, this is the nobility that each of you have. You're, you're going to create a mosaic. You're going to create a tapestry in your life that's not like anybody else's. And it's going to be a unique presentation to God in that final day of the beauty of God's, of Christ's character in this life, in this particular situation. And again, and the, some of our young people heard me say this at the conference up in uh, Colorado, but I'm real puzzled by this, uh, have been puzzled by this statement in Titus to servants that says, adorn the doctrine of God, adorn the gospel. And you think, okay, me standing by the gospel is only going to uglify the gospel, right? My character and the gospel is only going to mess the gospel up and create a shadow and, and filth around the gospel. But you're saying, I will adorn the gospel? As the illustration I gave them that, that you're the blueberry cheesecake that the lady with the you know shower cap hands out at Walmart and God's handing you out and say, taste this, taste this, taste this. You want to know what my gospel is and does? Taste this. And you think, that's just going to ruin. It's just going to ruin the gospel. But as I gave them this picture of a guy, you know, non-Christian, in a boat, in a storm, God doesn't bring the, the angel, which you'd think he'd bring the angel because that's pure, unadulterated, no sin involved. Let him preach the gospel. But no, he puts another person in the same boat, with the same tragedies, the same difficulties, the same shocking things that happen to us. And he puts him in the same storm and he begins to live out the gospel right next to them. That adorns the gospel. 
See? No angel can do that. Only believers clinging to the grace of God, having their minds renewed so that they live out the will of God in difficult circumstances. That adorns the gospel of God and shows people, this guy's got a little motion. He's moving somewhere in this storm. Where is he headed? How does he move? How is he doing this? By God's grace, that's what we can be as living sacrifices given up to God. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, may we have this motivation of your mercy. May it overwhelm us and amaze us so that we do make this presentation of ourselves, Lord, so that we are transformed by this renewing of our minds in the Spirit and the Word, so that, Lord, we can be used as instruments of good in this world. Oh, bless us, Lord. Bless us that we will be drawn to Jesus Christ afresh, that we will search Him out, that we will seek to see His glory, so that we will be more and more conformed to that beautiful glory and that amazing love. Bless us, Lord. Thank You that You will so do it through Jesus Christ. Pray in his name. Amen. Pleasing scene is clouded or with pain. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times, directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain, break rain. Shades of night and chase my fears away. Won't you chase my fears away?